0: And today we're talking about the history of the UK and the US arming extremists in the context of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. And we're happy to be joined for this conversation today by Asa Winston Lee, an investigative journalist and associate editor with the Electronic Intifada. Asa, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Great to be with you
0: again. Absolutely. And Asa, uh, in the couple of weeks since uh, Russia's intervention in Ukraine, people have been raising the issue of the role of neo-Nazi and far-right and ultra-nationalist paramilitary forces and groups inside Ukraine, such as, you know, the Azov Battalion, um, the Zvoboda Party, the right sector, and groups like this, and you, you seem to get uh, a different narratives that I tend to think sort of depend on the politics of the person that you're talking to Um, I think there's one sort of narrative that says there was a U.S.-backed coup in 2014 that integrated some of these uh, uh, fascist elements into the Ukrainian state. There are others that said, well, actually, what happened in 2014 was uh, a revolution or pro-democracy protest. And yes, some of those elements were involved, but their presence now was overstated. Uh, there are others who point to the fact that Ukrainian president uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish as proof positive that there can't be involvement of these groups. And uh, I just I just feel like a lot of the context around what even gave these groups a platform is, uh, so often missed. And you, you know, recently published a piece about this, uh, on your Substack, asawinstonlee.substack.com, entitled, Who Are Ukraine's Moderate Rebels? And I really appreciate that title because I also see a sort of direct connection between these far-right groups and the so-called moderate rebels of Syria. But I want to talk about that a little bit later and sort of begin, if you could, uh, Asa, talk about kind of the history of the U.S. and U.K. arming these groups in Ukraine and how that factors into what we're seeing in Ukraine right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I really since the um, the Maidan um, riots, uh, you know, revolution coup, depending on your perspective, um, I would say, I mean, yes, there were protests. Yes, people were. You know, yes, people had legitimate grievances against, you know, a corrupt leader and so forth. Um, But at the end of the day, it was an elected government. And at the end of the day, there was a coup. And the fact is that the people who carried out that coup were fascists. They were right wingers. They were hard right wingers. They were Nazis. You know, I mean, I've called them neo-Nazis, but, you know, it was pointed out to me more recently by a colleague of mine. Um, that it's more accurate just to call them Nazis because there's not really any neo about it because these are the direct ideological descendants of um, Adolf Hitler's collaborators in Ukraine, the the right-wing forces who who carried out the Holocaust in Ukraine. Um, So, and there's a whole long backstory there as well that we probably don't have time to get into, Um, but in terms of since 2014, the NATO powers um, and plus Israel have been arming these groups, arming and training these groups, these hard right groups, um, because they see these groups as the best way to have um, to, to fight Russia. Right? They're the most hardcore anti-Russia forces, and that's what it comes down to. You know, When you think of it that way that that's what just makes the most sense you know it's not actually that surprising that they would do that i mean from from our point of view and i think from the point of view of most people um arming hard right groups like this is morally outrageous but unfortunately the united states and britain have a long history of doing it and yeah that parallel that i uh, made by calling these groups Ukraine's moderate rebels, it, it, you know, there's a, there is a direct link between um, what's happening now and what's been happening in Ukraine and what happened in Syria, um, because the United States, Britain, France, Israel, they all wanted to fight Syria. So who were the most anti-Syrian government forces? Well, it was going to be the extremist Islamist um, battalions who became Al-Qaeda and ISIS. So they armed and trade them. So it's very similar.
0: Definitely, and I mean, I feel like in both situations in terms of Ukraine and Syria, I mean, not only is there sort of aid given um, to these different extremist groups, Um, But there's also, I think, sort of direct, you could call it like PR uh, uh, support by U.S. officials that lends legitimacy to these groups. I mean, it's documented that, you know, John McCain, uh, the late uh, so-called, you know, uh, uh, maverick, um, you know, uh, senator or whatever and uh, a Republican uh, figure. And, you know, I mean, he's taking pictures and whatnot with people like Oleg uh, Tannenbach of the Svoboda party, just like he did with some of these so-called uh, uh, moderate rebel leaders inside Syria. You know what I mean? And one thing that I've been pointing out here over the last couple of weeks, Asa, is that, you know, these are people who stand for uh, the very sort of things that the United States claims that it's against. And of course, what government in their right mind will come right out and say, we support uh, Nazis or we support uh, jihadists, the same uh, group that supposedly the so-called war on terror was supposed to be directed against, right? And so there there always has to be a kind of um, whitewashing of these groups and um, uh, frankly, a revisionist history that comes into place because the U.S. needs these groups to help carry its will forward in their respective countries and regions. You know what I mean? And so this is something that is not made clear to the American people. So when they're donating uh, to some of these different groups or, you know, they're watching a Netflix special or whatever about the White Helmets, they think that they're watching, you know, Heroes for Democracy, when in truth, uh, these are... Frankly, uh, blood-soaked uh, fascist groups that you know the U.S. is uh, supporting and tries to sort of um, hem and haw about their support of, basically because it helps carry the whims of U.S. imperialism forward.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I I think that um, it's it's a really grim reality that we're seeing on the ground, and what we see is, um really a kind of um, there's a really intense propaganda war and information war that is that is happening. And something I've noticed over the last week that I found quite interesting in terms of what you were saying about how there's this kind of whitewashing and this kind of apology, public apology for these groups. Um, We also see the kind of cyber war happening. And (laughs) Um, what I noticed online is when I do post on Twitter specifically about um, the Azov Battalion, this um, Nazi organization, which is, you know, it, it's not just happened, it's not just tolerated in Ukraine, but since 2014, it's been uh, a unit, an official unit of the Ukraine's National Guard. So it's been integrated into Ukraine's armed forces, into its military. Um Every time I post about them, um, I get bot activity. You know, you, know, you get these um, suspicious Twitter accounts with one follower or zero followers. They, they've they only just appeared. They've just popped up. And they say things like, oh, as of Battalion, it's only 800 fighters. Oh, as of Battalion, you know, it's not that influential. Oh, it's, it's being exaggerated uh, and all these kinds of things. Um, and then they also swing between that and even more disturbingly saying, "Oh, I, they're not—they're—they're they're not bad guys. They're just defending Ukraine." So there's the kind of downplaying of Nazi Ukrainian Nazis on one hand, and then there's a sort of even worse justification of Ukrainian Nazis on the other hand. So this is something that we've uh, that we're really seeing, and it, it, it is kind of um, being really uh, strongly. Integrated into our mainstream media in the West, like, the like we've seen for example, and I, and this is something that I um, mentioned uh, in that uh, Substack article. Who are Ukraine's moderate rebels? Um, this photo op, and it it was quite widely covered in alternative media. Um, uh, the it was a kind of photo op, uh, PR stunt essentially of. Um, you know, what we what was portrayed as sort of brave Ukrainian civilians training to defend themselves from the forthcoming Russian invasion. Um, You know, there was this photo of this Ukrainian grandmother um, with a rifle in her hands. And it turned but it turns out that the people doing that training was the Azov battalion, was these Ukrainian Nazis. So we see the fact that, um, you know, yes, of course, Nazis, by definition, are always going to be a minority, right? It's not, no one's saying that um, all Ukrainians are Nazis. Of course, that's not the case. Um, and the president himself, of course, isn't a Nazi. Um, but the point is that the Ukrainian Nazis have got key positions, they've got key um, levers on that. They're able to take Advantage and they're able to kind of dominate the state in a way that um, neo-Nazis fortunately can't in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, so it's it's a really a kind of concerning thing. And so you know, you, we get this kind of uh, propaganda where. Where, you know, when you bring up these things, you're then accused of being a Putin apologist, Putin propagandist, whatever. Well, it happens to be the fact that Putin is correct, that Ukraine is riddled with Nazis, you know, the Ukrainian government. Um, so, you know, this is something that is factual. Definitely. And and,
0: uh, another thing I wanted to bring in here, I believe a few weeks ago um, we had you on, Asa, to talk about uh, how Israel is actually arming some of these Ukrainian Nazis, which is just insane. When you talk about a state whose (laughs) entire claim of legitimacy is to be a place of uh, solace and protection for uh, the Jewish people who, of course, have a very real and very long history of suppression. But uh, Zionism, as we know, is, um, you know, know, a political ideology that sort of opportunistically uses that suppression to justify the genocide against the Palestinian people. So you would think that the last thing a Jewish country would do is arm Nazis. But that is precisely what's happening in the case of Israel. So I was hoping you could sort of touch on that a little bit and and how you see it um, uh, uh, factoring in in terms of, you know, the opportunism of these countries and how they use these sort of elements to further their own culture.
1: Yes, well, I mean, it's it's part of the history of Israel's services to American imperialism. Really, I mean, I think in this case, it, you, we ha- we have to acknowledge that you know there is a history of Israel's you know not in NATO, but it does have this long history of carrying out um, uh, important services for the U.S. Empire. So it does things like um, strategically arms. Um, human rights abusing regimes, militias. Um, when it, it at times when it's been inconvenient for the United States to do that directly. So we take take for example uh, Nicaragua in the eighties when there was um, the um, Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas had not long come to power. Um, there was a revolution against the US backed dictatorship. Um, but the CIA was not accepting that and they decided to start this counter revolutionary army, um, the Contras. So the Contras were then armed, trained, backed, you know, financed from the United States. Um, and what happened at a certain point was their the human rights are, the Contras were all they were made up of uh, former military in the in the former in the dictatorship in the former dictatorship that had been overthrown, and so of course this was a a really what was portrayed as this great you know force of freedom fighters in the United States was actually a really disgusting. Uh, viciously violent, human rights abusing uh, CIA army, essentially. And so, what happened was that at a certain point, that became so blatant, even within the United States, that um, the you know that the PR wasn't managed well from the Empire's point of view. And there was a certain point when um, the there was a certain point when they had to step back that Congress had to step back from arming them. And so at that point, the Israelis were able to step in and the Saudis were able to step in. And so what we're seeing in Ukraine with Israel stepping in and arming uh, the the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian Nazis um, is kind of a continuation of that history and that heritage. So, yeah, I mean, this is an outright Nazi organization who's... Um, founder has talked about, you know, leading the white, the white races in um, a campaign against the Semite-led untermenschen. you know, just explicitly fascist anti-Semitic stuff. Um, and yet the Israelis don't mind arming them because why? Because it's away from them, you know. So it's, uh, you know, this is part of this history of Um, Zionism actually strategically aligning itself with anti-Semites because they agree on a strategic goal of removing Jews from Europe because both agree, both Zionism and and anti-Semites agree that Jews don't really belong in Europe. So this is something that um, anti-racists will, of course, struggle against definitely well we thank you so much asa for joining
0: us today we're gonna leave it there and move to a break here on by any means necessary on radio sputnik in washington dc we'll be right back so please stay with us by any means necessary